Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Hi, I'm Lee. It's really nice to be with you this morning. And um, I am wanting just to share something that's been just developing in my heart for the last few years. And um, ironically, at this time of COVID, it's, uh, it's on the topic of being at home. And uh, ironically, that's probably somewhere where you might feel you've been uh, a lot lately. But I have just been noticing uh, just throughout the Bible that there's a lot of emphasis on home, not in a great dramatic way, but just in a real gentle way. And I've seen it in scriptures like this, Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our home since the beginning. Before the mountains were born and before you created the earth and the world, you are God. You have always been and you will always be. And then there are scriptures like Psalm 27, one of my favorites. And that says, um, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Or in the message, it says it like this, I'm asking God just for one thing and only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. And that's the only quiet and secure place in a noisy world. And it's this beautiful invitation at being at home with Jesus. And then there's this real famous one. You probably, you might know this one by heart. And it says, Lord, you prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honored guest and fill my cup to the brim. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and your house will be my home as long as I live. This beautiful invitation of being at home with Jesus. I remember when I was about six and my first time my parents allowed me to actually stay away from home and sleep over with one of my friends. And I begged my mum, I said, oh God, let me go on a sleepover. And, and you know, I was living in a remote town, if anyone knows where Carterton and the Wairapa is. But, um, so I was used to living remote, but where we were staying and what made it extra exciting was we were going to Ningnong Bay. Now, I'm sure you're probably thinking, where the hang is Ningnong Bay? Well, that's probably as remote as it gets, probably for the North Island. Oh, I might be wrong on that, but um, it's out towards uh, Cape Palliser on the south coast, heading down to the Wellington Wairapa area. And it's, I mean, there's not many people live at Ningnong Bay. And I mean, I had a great time. My parents said, yes, Lee, you can, you can go and stay with your friends at their batch. And it was all going well. And I've got great memories of uh, sliding down grassy banks and playing in rock pools. It was going so well until about night time when I realized how remote and how rustic this place was. Like, I can't remember if it was candlelight or whether it was generator, but there was not a lot of light. And um, it wasn't until about nine o'clock, we're getting ready for bed. And then they said to me, oh, Lee, if you need to go to the bathroom in the night, remember I'm like about six or seven here, um, you know, go now because you don't want to get up because actually the bathroom's way out the back of the house in the garden. It was a long drop and there were no lights. And, you know, that's my first recollection of being utterly homesick. I just wanted to go home. 
You know, I just wanted to go to this place where I was known, this place where I belonged, this place where I was accepted, you know, where I intuitively knew where everything was. And I, I kind of knew where all the light switches were at home in the night because my sister used to make me get up and turn on all the light switches <laughs> for her if she needed to get up. But home was just this place where I just wanted to go to the security and safety of home. And I think this is the kind of place that Jesus, that we can have with the Lord, this intimate place of belonging and being at home with him. And I mean, I recognize that not everybody's home uh, experience has been great, but uh, I think, you know, maybe you've always, you may have been in a place before where you felt part of the tribe or part of a family. And Jesus also talks about being at home. He has this, um, this time where he was talking with his followers and he was trying to prepare them for this time when he was about to leave them and he was going to prepare them for the fact he was going the way of the cross, he was going to die and be resurrected and then he was going to come back but then he was going to leave them forever. And he was, you know, preparing them for this huge significant change and um, he said, look, I'm only telling this to you as my followers. I'm not telling it to the world. And one of his followers stuck up his hand and, and basically said, well, why are you just telling it to us? Why aren't you declaring it to everyone? And Jesus answered, he said, if people love me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And this is like a real big shift from um, maybe in the Old Testament where we read a lot about us making a home in God, but here we've got this unbelievable change where you've got Jesus talking about God and you even see implications of the Trinity here where we will make our home with them. And here's God in this unbelievable invitation of him saying, I'm going to make our home with us, with you, with me. He goes on with the conversation, and you might know this in the book of John, the fourth um, book in the New Testament, and he um, starts giving this analogy, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And he goes on to say that um, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home or abide in my love. And there's famous scripture, I mean, it's often uh, you'll hear it in other translations saying, abide in me and I'll abide in you or remain in me. I love the way the message brings this out. It says, if I, I've loved you the way my father has loved me, make yourselves at home, abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain or you'll be at home intimately in my love. And he goes on to say, that's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and I've made myself at home in his love. And there's this great sense that the, that the father, the son and the Holy Spirit are at home with one another. That place of total acceptance and love and security, um, probably even the ideal sense of home. And not only do we make our home in there, but they come and, and God makes his home with us. It's this beautiful picture of being at home and it's a real encouragement to us. And, the last few weeks we've been talking about solid ground. There's no greater solid ground than being at home and resting in the love of God. 
So what is abiding, like they talk about in John 15, where it says abide in me and abide in me. Uh, ab <laughs> abide in, you know, we abide in Jesus and he abides in us. John Mark Comer, someone I've been listening to a lot, the pastor of Bridgetown Church in the US, and he describes it in many of his teachings. He says it's resting in the Father's love and letting him rest in us. And I think it's a great analogy of abiding or resting or making your home. I think they are synonymous terms, you know, making our home in Jesus and Jesus making his home in us is what abiding is to me. Um, Ronald Rollheiser, who's this Catholic priest, he talks about contemplative prayer which I think is very similar to this, this uh, whole theme on being at home in Jesus. And he says it's relaxing into God's goodness. It's a beautiful thing, the sense of being at home and God being at home in us. So, so is this like some optional extra? I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, there was a lot of emphasis, and rightly so, on evangelism. You know, and you know, I, I saw a lot of this emphasis on um, you know scriptures that say, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And absolutely, that is the truth. Other scriptures where there was emphasis on um, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And this is so true. But there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the well, what happens after that? And I actually think this whole theme of being at home in Jesus or abiding in him is the whole purpose of salvation. It's the sense when you start reading, reading theologians, they talk about salvation not as an event but as an ongoing process. Like we are saved, we are being saved and we will be saved. We are invited into this long journey of just continually being made more like Jesus. And I think this is what home is synonymous with. It's the main point. This is what it's all about, is abiding in Jesus, is why he died and rose again and invited us into relationship with him, that we get to live with him day in, day out, throughout life. I think this is what Paul gets at, and it's very synonymous language with what he says in Galatians. And whilst when he wrote Galatians, he was addressing a different point. He was um, just really focusing on people who had started off being saved, but they were getting caught by getting into legalism and adopting back old traditions and the sense of they had to do that to be saved. And He has these scriptures that, that just talk very much to me about being at home. He says it like this, he says, I was put to death on the cross or I have been crucified with Christ. And I do not live anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me or Christ who's making his home in me. And I still live in my body but I live by faith or because of the faithfulness of Jesus or the Son of God. You know, it's not like we have to conjure up this great thing called faith. It's like we rest into the faithfulness of God. That's actually the faith that we need. We, we lean into God's faithfulness. 
and that a God who loved me and gave himself to me. I think the spirit living in us is what it means to be at home in Jesus. He continues to talk about this more in Galatians on the why be, uh, why we are at home in him or why we abide in him. He goes on to say, so I, so I say, live by the spirit or make yourself at home. You know, stay there, live, move, eat, breathe from a place of home and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what obedience is. You know, back in John 14, I said, Jesus said, you know, if you obey me, I will come and make our home with you. And actually obedience comes by walking in the spirit. And as Christ makes his home in us, we start living the way he lives and saying the things he says and doing the stuff that he does. Being at home is very similar to how Galatians 5.25 says it. Since we live by the Spirit, that place of being at home there, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I also like how Romans 8 puts it, once again, very similar language. But, I, but you do not live as your human nature tells you to. Instead, you live as the Spirit tells you to. You know, out of this place of being at home, resting in Him, and His Spirit resting in us, we live out of that place. And then it goes on this most one, this is a part in the scripture I find a little bit scary because he says, if in fact God's Spirit lives in you, it's like he puts a question mark there. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's actually a really key scripture. Gordon Fee, one of my favorite theologians, says, the Spirit alone distinguishes God's people in the New Covenant. So being at home or abiding in Jesus isn't like this optional extra. It's the main point. It's what I think Paul gets at when he says living by the Spirit. And this is the essence of Christianity. If you want to know who really is a Christian, and it's probably not the term Christian, but who really is a follower of Jesus, it's someone where the Spirit of God is making itself at home in you. So I guess the question now is, we know it's the main point, this living at home, so how do we go about this? And, you know, when I was preparing this message, you know, I was first, you know, when I was putting it all up on this great mind map of when I got to the how, I was going to talk about all this stuff. And I was going to talk to you about, you know, how we should have regular rhythms of prayer and regular um, reading of the Bible. And uh, you should maybe look at you know, times of silence and great spiritual practices like silent prayer. And absolutely, these things are really important. In fact, I don't know how you could make yourself at home with Jesus and allow him to continue to make his home with us if you don't instill some of these required uh, practices. But I just want to step back from the things you could do because I actually think it's not as formulaic and as linear as we would like. I think, you know, it's really easy to think, well, if I do A, B, C, D, I'll get the desired outcome. But I don't think living at home is a matter of following pre-prescribed steps. I think it's more about a dynamic relationship of resting in Jesus. And um, so I don't think there's 10 easy steps. And whilst there's some really good frameworks or disciplines to put in place, I just wanted to step back from giving you a lot of, you know, step one, read your Bible, step two and pray. I wanted to talk about our why. 
Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says this great quote, and I think it just applies uh, to this part really well. It says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And um, Jesus was asked the question once, what is the main thing? And he was in this big discussion with people called Sadducees. And these were, uh, you know, it seemed like really highly intelligent people, but they had a huge doctrinal difference with Jesus because they didn't believe that people would be raised from the dead. And they created this big preposterous argument and tried to lay a trap for Jesus. You know, they came up with this ridiculous idea of a lady if she was to die, and you know, the, the brother of her ex of her deceased husband was to marry her, and then some, they died, and this ridiculous argument. Um, and Jesus just carefully and, and beautifully gets his way through it. But there was someone listening into the conversation. There was this teacher of the law, someone who knew a lot about the right things to do. And he basically asked Jesus, well, what is the main thing? But like what Stephen Covey is, what is, was asking, what is the main thing? And, um, you know, you kind of think that Jesus would probably give us, well, you must pray, you must read scriptures. Mind you, they didn't have a Bible in those days. They had a Torah. You know, you must do all these things. But you know what he said? He said the main thing was this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbour as much as you love yourself. And all the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only those and you will find you are obeying all the others. I think what Jesus was doing was putting the why before the what. He is our why. And once we understand that our role is just to simply love him, and notice how he didn't dissect the one commandment into one love. He gave two, actually, because love is dynamic and fluid. It can't be just something that is fed into. It has to give out. So he gave two commandments, but they're all revolving and anchored around this concept of loving him first and outwards to others. You know, and so, I mean, I was thinking this when I was thinking about how do we make our home in Jesus? And I was thinking, you know, I could give you a whole lot of rules, and yes, they have a place. Rules of life really have a place, but our why has to be embedded first, and it's because we love him. And the rules become just like a framework that supports a house, but the home is the love. The love we have with Jesus and the love we pour out to others. He is our why, and prayer becomes the language of home. And um, the Word of God is the nourishment of home. And we allow the Word of God to read us more than, it, than we read it. As we let the Spirit at, being at home with us start doing its work of, of just maturing us. So I think one of the first things about being at home with Jesus is getting to our why and loving God first and then instill all the rules. 
The next thing I want to say about how do we make our home in Jesus is very quite challenging, I think. Well, for me anyway, I don't know if you're anything like me, but um, when I read scriptures now, I, I have to remember that, you know, I come from a very Western mindset. And our Western mindset is very individualistic in nature, you know, about me and about, um, you know, how I fit into it. And I actually think being at home with Jesus is in the context of we, probably more than just me. And I think, um, I think that we need to reimagine being at home with Jesus in the context of family and community. I remember when we were in lockdown, and ironically we've just gone back into it and we're probably going to be into it for a little bit longer, who knows, we find out uh, soon, but in lockdown, you know, what, what did you miss the most about church? You know, it was really good, everyone worked so hard to make church and to connect and stuff. And, but you know what I found out is I could go anywhere to get any message I wanted to hear. You can go anywhere and hear the best worship you want to worship. You just, you just Google it up, you'll get whatever tickles your fancy, basically. But what you can't replicate online by the best churches, by the best speakers, by the best worship providers, is you can never replicate that dynamic of being a family together under God. There is no way that you can get that by pressing Google, you know, or asking Siri. And I think we really do need to um, look at um, reimagining home, reimagining community. Sorry, I've marked up my slides, but never mind, we'll just move on. And I think we need to reimagine community. And in the context of the fact that we are family under a great father, I, I kind of see it like a, a family meal where we're gathered around the table and we be, you know, we're under the guidance and the, the love of a father and we're just working together. It's the sense of um, authentic and authenticity in our relations, generosity in our relationships, humility together, being, being, getting brave enough to be who we really are in front of one another in the context of the fact that we are accepted. Hospitality. You know, hospitality, so we don't care necessarily what people think of us or that our house is not in order, but we care more for one another and having that fellowship than we do of maybe what people think about it. And I think being at home with Jesus is about growing together. Ronald Rollheiser um, has this great quote about this. And he's got a few big words, so I uh, hope it doesn't throw you out. But he says, the most pernicious heresies, pernicious, one of those words you use every day, right? So the most pernicious, or maybe I would say there, the most dangerous or the most concerning heresies that block us from properly knowing God are not those of formal dogma. So it might not be things we might disagree on from a theological or a doctrinal point of view but of those of a culture of individualism that invite us to believe that we are self-sufficient, that we can have community and family on our own terms, and that we can have God without dealing with each other. But God is community, and 
only in opening our lives to gracious hospitality will we ever understand that. I think in our uh, Western mindset of church, we need to remember that we are just uh, invited to be family together. We are invited to connect on a very real level. There should be no in-crowds in church. There should be no one on the outside. There should be no, uh, I remember being in a church that once declared from the front and said, said, oh, we are actually just going to target the 18 to 30s because that's the population in our area. So I was thinking, so what happens when I turn 31? You know, so did God not, does not care for people under 18 and over the age of 31? You know, there should be no age limit. There should be no colour of skin that matters. There should be no type of person. There should be no socio-economic threshold. We are all one under the Father's love and we come at home together in Christ. The other approach I want to just talk about when it comes to being at home with Jesus is this concept of yielding. And you know, yielding is one of these words that I don't use very often. I found myself use, uh, hearing a lot about it. I think over lockdown, I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, particularly from John Mark Comer from um, Bridgetown Church, but others on spiritual practices and listening a little bit about um, uh, things like contemplative prayer and silence and retreat and this stuff. And, and I started hearing a lot about this term yielding. And I actually had to think, well, what the, what the hang is yielding? Actually, I remember one time, I think I saw it on a road sign once, and I think it might have been in the US. I can't remember where I saw it. It's this sign. You might be familiar with it. You see it on the roadside. In the US, I think it says yield. Uh, here we have the term give way. And it's this reminder that actually as followers of Jesus, if we want to really have him make his home in us, we actually have to give way or yield to his spirit being alive in us and working in us. And I, um, I have been thinking about this because this has really been challenging me. I remember when I became a Christian, not that I, you know, went from this great, really bad person to this amazingly great person. It was nothing like that. But I, I just knew that something had changed. I just, it was like having a, sh the only description I can really think is um, like having a shower on the inside. I just felt like I was cleaned and I felt like I was fresh and I felt like there was this new life in me. And I just found it really natural to have this attitude of humility before God. I'm not saying I'm naturally humble because actually I'm probably really not. But at that time, I was really willing just to keep this attitude of surrender or this posture of repentance a word we don't hear a lot about of actually saying Lord it's actually not my way anymore it's actually your way but you know as I've carried on in the Christian or following Jesus I've just noticed stuff about my heart you know stuff I'd rather not see was there I was challenged with a podcast I was listening to and the question was asked in it you know what's your working theology or your working methodology of change and I was thinking about that and then I just asked myself this question if I look back over the last five years 
have I actually changed? And the podcast went on to bring into this whole concept of yielding and giving way to Jesus. And I, I'm a bit disturbed to say that I think I've lost the art of being humble before God sometimes. I've lost the art of being humble and just actually saying, actually God, it's actually about you and not about me. To quote a U2 song, it's like the little things that give you away. You know, I notice the outbursts of anger that come out of my mouth when things don't go my way. I remember Matt a few years ago was doing a message, it's when we were in Stanmore Bay and he was talking about anger and relationships and he said, you know, you think about your anger, it's often when you don't, things don't go the way you want them to go and, you know, often that's because I'm just looking out for me, my needs um, and, you know, I see these things uh, when I'm forced to wait or God doesn't work the way I've got him the way I want him. You know, it's really easy to have God on my own terms. It's not so easy to have God on his terms. Um, the other things that make me realize I'm not this, so great at giving way or yielding to him was, you know, how obsessed I get with myself, uh, my comforts, the ends I go to, to make sure that my conveniences are first, my dreams, my ambitions, my reputation. I also see it in my unquenchable desire of wanting things. You know, there seems to never be an end to want. I go away with work quite often, and fortunately they put me up in some pretty nice places, touch wood, not like when I used to work for government. But um, anyway, I, I was staying at this hotel, and there's one in Wellington I love because it's really arty and it's quite quirky. And what they have in this hotel is they have these Bose SoundLink Bluetooth speakers, and they're excellent. You know, and I just found myself wanting one. And, you know, I went out and bought myself one. And do you think that stopped my want for something else? Or have you noticed when you want something, you go and get it? It's like, it's not, that's not like the magical end of wanting stuff. You just want more and you want more. And uh, I love what Eugene Peterson says in one of his books. He says, we add dollars to our income and rooms to our houses, activities to our schedules, appointments to our calendars, and the quality of life diminishes with each addition. And I think, you know, we're just feeding ourselves. I, I, and I just know for me, I just need to get to this place of yielding and giving way. The other thing I've noticed is um, I'm often wanting to have control. I had this experience uh, last year where I was, I often go for a run and I'm often praying at the same time and there was a circumstance in my life that I was just saying, God, please change because, you know, it's really easy to want God to change circumstances. I certainly wasn't asking him to change myself. And I just was saying, oh, you know, I was trying to do the token, oh God, what do you want me to do? But, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I'll give them to October. And if things haven't changed by then, I, I was hatching a plan of what I was going to do. You know, what happened to me saying, it's not my will, but it's your will be done. So yielding to Jesus and allowing Jesus to make his home in us, the how is by regaining this whole attitude of yielding to Jesus and allowing him to mature us. It's this ongoing work of I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And I have to ask myself, really? Am I really allowing him to be, to make and establish his home in me by saying, actually, it's not about me anymore. 
C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says he's turning us into the same thing as himself. It's great, isn't it? But we've got to do the mahi. We've got to do the work. Jesus says it like this. He says, if people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want, deny themselves, set aside their own interests. How is that going for you? I know for me this is a constant challenge. They must be willing to give up their lives or take up their cross daily and follow me. So those are my thoughts on the how to make Jesus at home. It's remember our why. It's because we love him. And then where we've got our why, then yes, bring a framework of regular practices of prayer, reading and digesting scripture, letting it read you. Think about things, other spiritual practices, things like silence, contemplative prayer. Think about maybe fasting, I don't know, well whatever, but be led by the spirit, not by a rule of law. The second thing about trying to just move into this place of resting in Jesus is to remember it's about us and not just about me. I think a dynamic of being at home and Jesus making his home in us is about reimagining what it means to authentically live at home with one another in community. And lastly, we just need to remember that we are to give way to the Spirit's work in our life and to take up our cross daily and allow God the opportunity to just rest in us more. So that's how we walk in the Spirit and that's how we live in freedom and that's how we get to solid ground. So where to from here? I think uh, for me I have just been pondering this stuff and asking God to search my heart. And I encourage you into that same conversation. I'd like to finish on this beautiful prayer, and particularly at this time of anxiety and heightened, um, heightened concern about the resurgence of COVID with us, that we have this beautiful place of security in home with Jesus and that we can trust him in situations where we don't have control. So I'd like to pray this prayer with, uh, together for us as a community. And you will find it in Ephesians, and this is what Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus. Hopefully you join in with me, but this is our prayer. And so Lord, we ask you from the wealth of your glory to give us your power through your spirit. Help us to be strong in our inner selves. And Lord, I pray that you will make your home in our hearts through faith. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have our roots and foundation in your love so that you together, that's us, Coast Vineyard, with all God's people may have the power to understand the, how broad and long and high and deep is Christ's love for us. Yes, may we come to know your love, Jesus, although it can never be fully known and so completely filled with the very nature of you, God our Father. Amen. Thank you.
thanks again for tuning in to today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you're keen to find out more about us as a church whānau, you're welcome to go to coast.org.nz or of course we'd love to meet you in person. We meet at 10am at Aurewa College on the beautiful Hibiscus Coast and you're more than welcome. Be blessed and have a great day.